Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. We like to try to, to give you an inside look. That's the term, the College Sports Insider. We're, we're particularly clever about that. But an inside look at what goes on at various levels of, of the world of collegiate sports. And one of the things we like to do when we can is to, to bring some of the student-athletes in and to get a sense from them about what their experience has been, oftentimes surprisingly different from what the public might think they are. Uh, that being said, we're delighted to have as our guest today Madison Burns um, who, from Randolph-Macon College. She's very close to graduating, which means she's probably writing senior papers and theses <laughs> and all sorts of things. So we're delighted to have her take some time and join us, um, a soccer player there, also a member of the Division Three Student-Athlete Advisory Committee and the chair, the upcoming chair of that committee. So she's got a lot going on. Um, Madison, nice to have you here with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I want to. I want to. Let's start at the beginning, which is probably not a bad place to start when we have conversations, <laughs> and that is the the notion of you making the decision that you wanted to continue your your athletics career after high school, and deciding to continue it at a, at a Division three level. Right? And we've had some conversations recently, including with Dan Dutcher, who's the the, the NCAA vice president of Division three, and he's been very good about articulating the differences between the three divisions, one, two, and three. But let, let me talk about from your perspective, right? So, so um, coming out of high school, right? You, you obviously, you're obviously a very good soccer player, and you're going to have some options. Tell me about what it is that drew you, first of all, to the notion of a Division three experience, and then ultimately to Randolph-Macon. I might not be the best person to interview <laughs> on this question. Um, I, in high school, was on a very successful um, soccer team. Mm-hmm. and Where was that? Where were you in high school? Deep Run High School. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, toot my own horn here, we were um, yeah. state champions my sophomore year. So very successful um, program there and had D1 aspirations as, you know, I feel like all mm-hmm. young high school kids not really knowing how competitive and hard it is. Um, and my dad and I had always thought that that was going to be my future. My junior year of um, high school, I tore my ACL, Mm. which, as most people know, is a brutal 9- to 12-month recovery. So that definitely changed my career path, and um, I wanted to give up soccer. And Division III, my ECNL coach actually was hired as the Division III coach at Randolph-Macon. So um, just being under his leadership and his guidance, I had loved to play for him, and he was a main factor in in joining Division III, especially at Randolph-Macon. Talk about, as a high school student, how you viewed, this is before you've experienced it now, okay. but how you viewed the differences between the various divisions. Well, as you, um, as you know, obviously, as everyone else doesn't know, my dad is an athletic director mm-hmm. in a Division three school, so I'd grown up in Division three attending the games, um, but also had been a huge Division one University of Maryland fan. <laughs> um, so I'd also gone to a lot of those games as well. First place that ever recruited me. I have a, a, a soft spot in my heart for the Terrapins. <laughs> I mean, I love them when they were in the ACC. Yeah, me that too. Was... That's another conversation you and I can have. <laughs> but I, I was heartbroken when they left the ACC. Big mistake. But, um, yeah, so I, I'd known the difference a little bit um, and loved the big environment, you know, the crowds, the arenas just being. But, I, I mean, I also didn't dislike. I loved Division Three. I loved going to Salem every year for the Final Four. Um, and knowing the athletes, I think, was part of the coolest part. Um, with my dad as an athletic director. You had a lot of personal relationships, and you met, you knew who was playing, which was also right. really neat. Yeah. 
So ultimately, as I said, you, you, you go through um, the, the, the dealing with the knee mm-hmm. um, and you know, the setbacks that it provides for you. It's interesting because, again, being an older guy, I tell people and people my age know that you get that. You had that injury back when we were playing. You never played again. You, you were done, literally done. Uh, the fact now that it, it, it requires an extraordinary amount of investment of time and energy, the fact that you can get back out on the field is sort of a medical marvel, but it's not easy doing that. So you, you, you get through that, literally get to the position now where you're able to get back as, as a senior, and it, you, you make the decision to, to go to Randolph-Macon. Tell me, let's, let's talk about, about your experience there. All right? Okay. First of all, when you first arrived, did you have certain expectations? Again, you knew you're a little bit different because you, you, you know that venue because of your dad's involvement. But as you look back on it, did you think that your expectations then were realistic when you first arrived, before you, you got into it all? When I first arrived, I would say that I settled on it, um, you know, when you have a D1 dream and then it doesn't come true, you're like, all right, well, what's what's second? What's next? Um, so I would say initially I'd settled on it. Um, but funny, I hadn't been to an academic building ever um, in my 18 years growing up on that <laughs> campus. So um, that was definitely something new. But to tell you the truth, I think that being a Division three athlete has really been Maybe my ACL tear was the best thing that happened to me because Division Three and the opportunity that's provided me with national sack, networking, study abroad, um, really, really has been the right path. I think that going to Randolph-Macon has been the best thing that could have happened, and I'm really grateful for, you know, what I had planned not working out. You know, it, and you're not the first person I've heard say that. As a matter of fact, uh, let, let's talk about some of the the reasons you pointed to that, and and how how you had opportunities there. And I say this when we compare the, the let's say, Division One and Division Three. We're not saying that one's better than the other. Absolutely, It's yeah, always definitely. the question is, what's the best fit for you? I agree. Your expectations, what you want to do with your life afterwards. So looking at some of the things that, that you have listed here, let's start first with the athletic experience. All right, talk about, about the level of, of play um, there at Randolph making the teams that, that you played in and how it corresponded or maybe didn't, didn't correspond to what your expectations were coming in. Um, yeah, I would say that a lot of people, I, it's funny, I talked to at the convention, I'll talk to division, division one, um, student athletes and you know, they're like, you don't get to pick your classes first. No, you get penalized for missing class sometimes. Um, so the experience is definitely different. But uh, when you when you so it, it obviously was a, it, it, it is different. And, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of people don't realize that, that the Division three student athletes are, are not scholarship student athletes. Now, they might be need based scholarships, certainly. Um, but but I, I mentioned this before in interviews. I was struck by a conversation I had with some faculty members at a D3 institution. Even they didn't know that their student-athletes were not scholarship athletes. So were, were people generally, generally and genuinely surprised when you would let them know that, yeah, I put in a whole lot of time here playing high-level soccer, and by the way, we don't get athletic scholarships. <laughs> well, yet. I think people, especially from the Division One, I, I mean, those student-athletes are very surprised. Um, but then I, we just, all of us on Division Three SAC, when we're at these roundtables um, at talking with division one athletes we really express that we do it because we love it you know not because we're necessarily the best at it or because you know we want to 
we want to be professional athletes. We do it because it's something that we love. We've grown up doing. And most often our best friends are with us doing it. Yeah. And I think that's really great about the Division Three culture. Um, obviously, it's a competitive environment. You're competing. You're playing together. But at the end of the day, you know, you're still student athletes um, and you're a part of a community especially with, you know, Division Three, my school is 1,400. Yeah. You know, it's a much more smaller, close-knit community. Um, so I think that is also another advantage of it, but people definitely don't don't understand. <laughs> and I think the notion of, and I'm, I'm not saying that people in the Division One level don't play because they love the game, because, you know, all of us did, all of us did love the game. Otherwise, you know, for the most part, you're not going to be there. But there's something, I think, particularly special in, in terms of Division Three athletes about, you're being there because you really love the game, and you don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, because some people might say, "Look, you know, my love is waning, but I've got a scholarship. So mm-hmm. if I want to graduate, I got to stay with this." And maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, and maybe it's not what it was in high school. Um, but it, it, were you aware of that because your own Division Three sort of experiences, or, or was it something that you um, that, that you understood even more completely once you got there? I definitely understood more as you got there. Um, you know, but I will say that the people who do want to play, even at the Division three level, they're all in. I mean, if, if you're not all in and you're not fully committed um, to, you know, the study halls, the practices, three-hour practice every day, the film sessions, it is a big time commitment. And those who aren't committed, I mean, they'll just, they'll leave. So I think an, a misconception probably is that, you know, they're just there to have fun, but really... It is all in all the time. It is a big time commitment. And were you pleased with the quality of the soccer when you yes. got there? Yes. And did uh, that surprise you at all, or, or did you expect that also? I was definitely a little bit surprised by that. Um, just with the notion that you know Division One is the best, Division Two they're good, Division Three probably uh, mm-hmm. we do it for fun. It's a last choice. But I don't think for a lot of people, I think Division Three, especially Randolph Macon, due to the great academics and the networking. They were drawn to that and then also drawn to the soccer program as well as the um, high coaching staff. Yeah, so it kind of gives you the best of all possible worlds. I like to think so. Yeah. And how about as, as you went through, um, you're, you've talked a little bit about the athletic experience. How about the academic experience? Did, did you feel that, and, and again, as, as the, the father of two Division One athletes, and you and I were talking about this before we sat down and, and began this podcast, but... In some ways, you know, now, and both of my children played at Yale where I went. And, you know, Yale was a transformative place for me. You know, I was, a, I was a, raised by a single mother. You know, I got to play football in front of 70,000 people in, in the Yale Bowl. Uh, when I, I got inducted into Yale's version of a Hall of Fame a few years ago, what I said was I showed up here with everything I owned, literally mm-hmm. in a single duffel bag, and I left four years later with everything I need for the rest of my life because of the college experience and what football provided for me. Uh, so when my children both decided to go and be lacrosse players, daughter and son, yeah, I was delighted. But I will be honest with you, and I said this to my friends in the administration, they had to invest an extraordinary amount of time. It just w- was hard. Uh, daughter was pre-med, so she had to take courses in the summer because it was hard to fit them in a lacrosse schedule. My son is, is now a banker, but and he was able to do some things, study at the London School of Economics, but he had to do it in the summertime, mm-hmm. sort of working around jobs and, and internships. So there were some hardships there. Did, did you find that your balance worked better? Yeah, I will say student-athletes at all divisions have to sacrifice. Oh, yeah, um, and, that, some, and an enormous sacrifice. We, yeah. I don't want to minimize that, um, no matter what division you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, your, your children obviously did have to sacrifice. And, um, but I think Division three, in terms of extracurricular opportunities, um, from my soccer team last spring, we had 
for study abroad for a semester. Um, And why they might have missed five weeks of our spring season, I mean, our coach encouraged it. Go get that experience. Go to France. Go to to Valencia, Spain. Um, And I think that's one thing that a lot of Division I student-athletes don't have the opportunity to do. And I understand why with the commitment um, and the need to be on campus, but I think a lot of employers, um, they're looking for that study abroad, and it's a very eye-opening. I was able to go to England um, in the summer, where obviously your two two children were given up their summer to study. So I think that that's a major advantage to being a Division III student-athlete. What would you tell somebody? And again, you're you're obviously an advocate for the Division III experience, as you should be. But if you had a high school, young high school, a a woman who was a soccer player, Mm -hmm. and came up to you and said, hey, Maddie, you know, I I know what, I see what you've done here, and and I see your experience with the NCAA, and we'll get to that in a couple minutes, I want to ask you about that. Uh, And they said, you know, I'm sort of torn. I I don't know where I want to be, and I think I'm good enough, you know, to do any level. Um, What should I be looking at in order for me to make my decision? What would you say to that young woman? Well, I'm a tour guide at my school, so I get oh, a lot yeah, of athletes. I'm asking the right person the right question. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, normally right. the question is, do I continue playing sports or do I go to a big school mm-hmm. and get that big school experience? Um, where I know you're kind of asking more is, do I be a Division three or Division one? Uh, I think, and a lot of people actually have that debate. Do I go small D1 mm-hmm. or do I go to D3? And I think a lot of it depends on, you know, do you want to be – an, an asset to your team at Division Three, or do you want to be, you know, not always a practice player? But I think that as a Division Three, you get it, in, a lot more opportunities. We talked about study abroad. Um, the networking, I think, is, you know, you're not going to be competing against 20,000 other people for these internships, um, which has also been great at such a small school and as a Division Three athlete. You get the student athlete. So the student part of it, I've had professors, um, because we have classes of 16, they know who you are. They want to help you. They want to help you succeed during gra- during um, college and also post-graduation. So I've actually had one professor really help me post-college and actually get an internship this summer in Manhattan. So I think that the small school, the small classes, and the personal relationships at the Division three level is another huge asset to being a Division three student-athlete. I want to give people a, a, an illustration of, of your day-to-day life okay. as a Division three athlete. So let's talk about while you're in season. What would an average day be like for you from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep? So normally, um, I'll say like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when we're not having 6 a.m. lifts, which we do have, which I will say is often forgotten. But um, (laughs) normally I would go to class from 9 to 12, sit through three classes, um, probably go to lunch, then immediately do homework. So I see like a lot of student athletes will have to do that. They have to get the homework done. It's great with time management, but it's a long day. Um, so probably from, you know, 1 to f- one to 4, and then at 4 you go to the training room, go to practice, 6 to six to 8, maybe 8.15, and then you're in, getting dinner and starting shower and doing homework again. So it is a long day. Um, it is the commitment, and then you wake back up the next morning at 5.30 for your 6 a.m. lift. So um. <laughs> Now how about in, in, in your off-season, okay. right? So you're, you're a, a fall, uh, women's soccer is a fall sport. Yes, sir. So in the spring, what would your average day look like during the springtime? The spring is a little less demanding, obviously. Uh, It's only those five weeks. So we would do Monday, Wednesday, Friday practice uh, for about two, two and a half hours. And then again, you're still lifting. So (laughs) um, I believe it's Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday are required lifts. So it is still a commitment even then. Um, But like I said, I think even with the practice schedule, especially Division Three. 
you, I mean, you have to go to your classes. They check in on you, and um, I, it is a big commitment, but a little less in the spring than the fall, I would mm-hmm. say. And how about the summer times? Did, you know, we talk about uh, oftentimes how the Division One and the major programs now, there's been this trend. I, I personally don't think it's a good thing. Um, having your your team essentially on campus for most of the summer. Again, I go back to when I was playing, and you know we'd all go home and get jobs in the summer. And mm-hmm. you, especially those of us who were scholarship students, you know, you can make a lot of money in the summer, so you come back and you can live like a normal kid, like a mm-hmm. normal student. Um, and you see now, so there's certainly a value I think for student athletes to catch up on some classes and take some courses in the summertime. I think that's a great thing to do. I, I mentioned to you my, my my daughter and son took some classes yeah. in the summertime just to sort of help get them through. But you also see this uh, tendency, especially in, in football, uh, men's basketball, essentially they're on campus almost 12 months of the year. What were your summers like and what sort of opportunities did you get in the summertime? Well, just a note on that, actually, our, a lot of our football team, I'll say about 20, 25 of them do stay on campus in the summer. Maybe more. I mean, locals will come and they'll train. So even though we are the Division Three, we're still experiencing that, especially at the football level. Um, I guess they're trying to work on campus a little bit. But my personal experience has been great in the summer. I was able to go to England for a month, and I did take two classes. So I got the travel abroad experience as well as the academic experience. And I've also, I will say, a lot of Division Three student-athletes, um, a couple on my team, do pay their tuition. So those summers off are crucial because we're not on those athletic scholarships. Um, and personally, I had the opportunity to go intern with Atlanta United last summer, and that was a great um, career experience as well as made a little bit of money. Um, <laughs> and also this summer, I'll have another experience along with another one of my teammates in Manhattan, as I said. So I think having the summers off, while I do understand the academic part of it, it is great in terms of internship experience, study abroad experience, um, as well as work experience. I'm curious. I ask athletes this all the time. I, I found that I did better academically when I was in season. I tell that on tour to every student do, do, athlete, do every prospective student thing? athlete. That, why do you think that is? It's It's got to be the structure. Um, it just has to be that we're so used to, we have to get this done before practice or we're leaving uh, in between classes. So you have an hour, you got to get this done. I think the structure and the time demands, you're just used to it. I uh, completely agree. I don't have factual evidence for that, but my grades, my teammates' grades. It seems to be the experience, isn't it? Our average Across is definitely higher in season. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing for us to know, to keep in mind. Let me talk about your involvement in, in the NCAA. All right. And how did that come about, and, and what sort of involvements have you had with the organization? I will say a lot of student-athletes who do apply to be on the National um, Student-Athlete Advisory Committee don't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into. Um, <laughs> what did you think it was before you actually got involved in it? And then what did you learn that it was? Was there a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know much about it. Um, Audrey Hester was a former Randolph-Macon student on the National Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And she said, oh, it's a great experience. You'll be a part of governance. You'll have networking. You'll meet some of the greatest people. And I was sold because it just sounded like a neat opportunity. You know, you get to travel. Um, so she really convinced me. But again, I had no idea the level of involvement that the NCAA really um, takes from Division Three student-athletes. So I think that's great, too. So it's it's not just a, a kind of an honorary title. You're actually doing stuff. Oh, absolutely. What kind of things do you do then, and how do you contribute to the, to the governance, if you would, of the NCAA? Yeah, so uh, we do something very different from Division One that I learned from convention is that Division Three will actually vote on their legislation at convention. Um, and the student athletes are actually involved on the national committee. They're involved in that voting process. 
So I think that's great that we get to. When you say involved in the voting process, actually, actually casting votes. Okay, I misspoke. I'm yeah. sorry. So we um, we're in the room when it's going on, right. but we do not get the voting mm-hmm. ability, but we do get to share our stance on each individual proposal. Right. So you're in front providing of the, significant input. Oh yeah, in front of the entire decisions. membership, right. we'll um, speak our behalf and give our stance. Right. So I think that's also a huge. Um, difference between divisions one as they don't vote at convention. But in terms of governance, we obviously get our stance. We send all of our votes through to each of our conferences and get their individual feedback. And then as a national committee, we'll take each institution's votes and conferences votes and then base our final stance on that. So even though, you know, Randolph-Macon or uh, Mr. Cordia, their votes are not, you know, directly the final votes, they are put into what the final vote will be. So uh, you are coming up now and, and for the next number of months going to serve as the chair uh, of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. What is, what's that going to entail for you? Well, this will be our first meeting um, <laughs> as chair. So basically, I think the role of chair is to, one, help make the new people comfortable, um, you know, get them involved and really teach them what the National SAC is all about and what the opportunities it can provide for you. Um, we get to run the meetings a little bit with the NCA staff. Um, We do not have a voting say in some of the decisions, which is also interesting. But I think that being the chair, it's you lead the group. We also get to kind of have final say over we have working groups, which are great. As a committee, we'll get together and decide what are issues on our campus that we need to address and how can we address them. Um, So while I am chair, I take more pride in the fact that I lead our mental health working group. And I'm really excited for those initiatives that we have coming in the future Uh, And that's a great area where we're better understanding what needs to be done to provide some support. And I know as, again, former athlete and parent of athletes, I'm delighted to see some of this, you know, these revelations and what we're understanding and what we're moving forward for that. So that's great work that you're doing. And it's interesting because, and this is not unusual, so you're you're coming up on graduation and yet you're, you're... chairpersonship will be extending even after you're you're no longer a student athlete, right? I don't want to talk about when I graduate. Uh, I know. <laughs> Nobody wants to. Yeah. I know. This has been, I've been on for three years, so I've been right. really fortunate. Uh, and I really do, I'm excited for the five months that'll follow, six mm-hmm. months that'll follow after graduation. This will definitely be, this is my favorite part of being a Division three student athlete, without question, is the National SAC. Um, so... I hate talking about leaving, but yes, uh, I, I will continue as chair for the next five months. It's a, it's a great collection of young people. I've had the opportunity to speak to some different groups over the year, the SAC groups, and I always walk away enormously impressed by the people that are involved. So uh, last question for you. You're, you're about to become an adult, <laughs> as we say when you finish. All of us, I think, I remember thinking, you're going to have to pull me away kicking and screaming from school because I, I don't want to go. Well, what are you thinking for the future? Uh, so a lot. Of, uh, first of all, I'll say a lot of our National Student Athlete Advisory Committee members, a lot of them aren't interested in sports administration mm-hmm. um, or you know anything in the sports field, which is great. I know we have a lot of you know bio and chemistry, business, economics, which is great. I happen to be one of those who is really interested in the sports industry. Uh, so I'm definitely looking into grad schools with sports management, sports administration. Um, and then New York this summer, I'll be heading to Manhattan for an internship with the interna- with Relevant Sports, who puts on the International Champions Cup. So I'm going to serve as a marketing intern for them and hopefully 
Good for you. Things will happen from there. Well, I will say after spending this time with you that any institution would would be happy to have you as part of their program. And and, um, as a graduate student and then any other institution would be delighted and they would be very fortunate to get you on their staff someplace. Well, thank you so much. Good luck to you. Thanks for spending some time and talking with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you again for having me. That's great. Our pleasure. Once again, uh, Madison Burns, a soccer player at Randolph-Macon College. Uh, That does it for this edition of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. 